You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. All right, you can have a seat. For those who don't know you, I'm Pastor Justin. I am the campus pastor over at our Los Alamitos campus. It's good to be with you today. If you're new, um, there's a couple new couples last service, first time here, so I told them, hey, if this stinks, give it another try next week. So, um, so if you're new, that goes for you as well. If you're not new, it'll be regular next week, so you'll be all right. Um, so endure. So let me pray. Father, um, we joke, but um, we know what I do has very little to do with what you want to do in this next half hour, that we know that this is uh, the time to be touched by the power of the Spirit through your word. And I pray that you would prepare our hearts for that this morning, that you would help us to receive what it is you want us to hear, um, and that we would leave here differently than the way we came in, that we will have met you in a powerful way, um, and our lives would not be the same. So bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So this picture here is for the lake, not the mountain. Um, it's Lake Taps up in Washington State where I grew up. I'm not a big water guy. I don't really swim well. I'm not even sure you would call it swimming. I kind of thrash in the water. So like, and Zach, I know sharks kind of freak you out. Just bring me along next time you go surfing. They'll come for me because they, they, you know, they'll go for that thrashing. Um, so, but I remember as a kid, we were at this lake. I was elementary age. And there was another family there that we were hanging out with friends of my parents. They had younger kids. And he had a little inflatable canoe. And the inflatable canoe went out too far for him. He couldn't get there. It was too deep. And it was just too far to reach on the dock. Now, I, where I grew up, Lake Wilderness is where I, I grew up near. And so if you hopped off the dock at that point in Lake Wilderness, it'd be up to your waist, maybe up to your chest, but safe. But Lake Taps gets a lot deeper, a lot faster. So I jump in and gloop, under I went. And it was terrifying. There was some metal pole, and so I pulled myself up. My dad came to rescue me, but he, like, tripped on the dock, and a big chunk of dock stuck in his knee. It was nasty. Like, it was, it was this moment, and it was terrifying. And I'm grateful that I'm, I'm still alive. Um, but the reason I'm telling you this is not just to work out my memories here, but, but the reason I'm telling you this is that I thought I was fine, but then I was in big trouble in a big hurry. And that happens for a lot of us in a lot of different ways. We think everything's fine, and then in the blink of an eye, we're in big trouble. Um, I know many people, or not many people, I know one guy in particular who experimented with drugs one time, and he has been fighting it for decades now. I know marriages where one person thought it was just a rough patch, the other thought it was over. It was much deeper than they imagined. We understand this, I think, in a lot of different areas of life, and it's true of our spiritual lives as well, even in terms of our theology. We're starting uh, in 1 Corinthians today, and in, um, in, in the Corinthians church, they were taking on water. They were in deep trouble, and they didn't realize it, specifically related to the whole resurrection thing. See, they were shaped by their culture more than God's truth. And so in their culture, it was not an attractive thing to be resurrected. They, they, were, they were formed by Plato, who thought the spiritual was superior to the physical. So why in the world would you want a resurrection anyways? Why would you want to have one of these forever? And so it wasn't valued. They said, okay, Jesus is kind of special. So yeah, he can be resurrected, but the rest of us, we don't need that resurrection thing. So 
this idea of rejecting the, the resurrection, it isn't just an ancient thing. It fits our skeptical age as well. It's kind of strange. We can, we can admit that. Um, and there's some who fancy themselves Christians who don't believe in a physical resurrection as an essential doctrine. And there are probably some of us here who think, so how many weeks are we going to be on this resurrection thing? Like, this seems pretty basic. We get this. It's, you know, what's, what, is it really that big a deal? Well, in our passage today, we're in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's going to say, it's a really big deal. So go, if you need to go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 15. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Our ushers have some loaners that they will get there to you. Um, and everyone else, go ahead and turn there. Now, as you're turning there, I'm just going to let you know, it's 1 Corinthians, we'll start in verse 14, that Paul is letting us know the stakes of the resurrection. That, that the... Uh, this is vitally important. In fact, those inserts you're getting in, in your worship folder are, are just some of the things that help us help build our faith and our understanding of how the resurrection happened and that we can trust it. Because what we believe about the resurrection, according to Paul, is as serious as spiritual life and death, and everything hinges upon it. And let me show you. Paul pulls no punches in this. He leaves nothing to our imagination. Verse 14, he says, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. So I'm wasting my time. Our faith, not just what we do here, but our whole life, if we consider ourselves a person of faith, useless, pointless. But that's not all. Verses 15 and 16. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. So just to, to summarize that, Paul, who wrote this, is a liar if Jesus isn't raised. And we preach the resurrected Jesus around here, so I would be a liar, Pastor Mike would be a liar, every preacher who has preached the resurrection of Jesus for the last 2,000 years, liar. So we understand what's at stake here. But wait, it gets even better. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. So our faith is worth nothing, and we are stuck in our sins if Jesus is not raised from the grave. This, that's a big one there. It gets better, verse 18. Then those, who have also fall, those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. So that hope of reunion with that loved one in Jesus that you lost, and you can't wait for that day to see him face to face, you're dreaming, not happening if the resurrection did not happen. And then one more, verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are, all of, are of all people most to be pitied. So this, if Christ hasn't risen, we're a joke. Plenty think we are. But if Jesus hasn't risen and we don't rise, then we know they're right. So, so this is a big deal. In fact, um, the men who made it to the men's breakfast a few months ago will know I'm stealing this from, from Dr. Hazen, who was our, our teacher that morning. But Jesus is, or Paul's making it clear here that if we back off the physical resurrection of Jesus, we're not just, um, it's not just a big deal. We're giving up the farm. That if we give that up, Paul says we've got nothing. He says that, that you know, we might think it might be good for um, God to, distribute the risk a little bit, you know, of saying, well, maybe we could give up something here, but we've got all this that's strong about our faith. And Dr. Hazen, he made a good point. He said, what Paul does is he, he, he hangs everything on our faith off of this one string. And that if we can cut this, Paul says, it's over. We've got nothing. And so the question is, is this string just like a little spider web that is, is easily broken? Or is it something like, you know, those big chains that hold the, 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 you know, the cruise ships to the dock. And Paul would say it's certainly the latter. He trusts it with his life. 
So again, those inserts are there to help with some of the head stuff, and that head stuff is important. This is something that we need to believe and trust, and there are good reasons to believe it, even though the world might say we're crazy. So that's there to help you engage that. But what I want to do this morning is I want to engage your heart. I want to tell you how the resurrection can change what we think about ourselves, what we think about life, and most importantly, what we think about Christ. And specifically, the one we're going to focus on there is from verse 17, where it says, we are still in our sins if Jesus hasn't been raised. Um, And we're going to look at that and specifically the guilt and fear that results from that sin. Now, sin isn't what it used to be. Well, it is, but basically our culture doesn't really think much of sin. It's not that big a deal. We, we wink at it. We think it's no big deal. We think we're standing safely on the dock, or maybe we're up to our ankles or knees, but sin's not that big a deal. Everyone does it. The Bible wouldn't dispute that. Um, but others of us feel like, I'm drowning in it. Like, like this sin is overwhelming. It's wave upon wave upon wave, and I just can't keep my head above water, and we know we're drowning. And that's closer to the truth. That is, that is the truth, actually, but... Um, that's kind of the status of where we are with, as it pertains to sin. Sin is serious. The letter to the Romans says, Paul says, the wages of sin is death. So this is serious stuff. And if we are left in our sins because Jesus hasn't risen, we're in a bad way. So what we need, whether we feel the weight of sin or not, is we need forgiveness. And so that's why our title today is Forgiven. Because Jesus lives, we can be forgiven. And this forgiveness affects our present, it affects our past, and it affects our future. God's forgiveness is complete. So we want to explore it this morning. We want to answer the question, how do we experience God's forgiveness? Very basic. How do we experience God's forgiveness? And we're going to follow the thread of resurrection all throughout this, uh, um, this study this morning. So the first thing we need to do if we want to experience God's forgiveness is that we need to experience conviction. We need to experience conviction. So the Bible's clear. We have a pretty good idea of what's right and wrong. God has revealed himself through creation. We know that he's there. We know that we're accountable to him. And we know this intuitively. Even if we disavow God, we understand, we, we have this idea that we are accountable to someone or something, that we just can't do whatever we want. Some of us push that farther than others, but we get the idea of that. And that's clear in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. We're going to be in Romans 1. Uh, the first few chapters of Romans for the rest of the time. We're done with 1 Corinthians if you want to change over there to Romans 1. I need to change there too. Verses 18 to 20. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So, so we know that this creation isn't an accident. And, and in that, we know there is a sense that we are accountable to someone or something. So that's where he started. But despite what we know, we push down that knowledge and, and pursue lesser things because we want to do what we want to do. So verses 21 to 23 says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human, like, like a mortal human being and birds and animals 
and reptiles. So we're talking about idolatry here, and we see, okay, images of birds and animals and reptiles. We don't do that anymore. Yes, we do. We don't make little statues, at least in our dominant culture, and yet we have these idolatries that make it into our heart all the time of those things we pursue as a higher value than Jesus. And what happens is those idolatries then, they flow then into our actions. And that's what verses 24 and 25 is. Therefore, God gave them over in, their, in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised Amen. You can keep reading the rest of the chapter if you want a more thorough list, but that's a good enough start. And there's a terrifying phrase in there in verse 24 where it says, God handed them over. There comes a point when we are so committed to our own way, when we are so committed to our own sin that God just says, I'm going to quit trying to persuade you. And if that's what you want, go for it. I'm not going to convince you otherwise. And we see this, the easy and and simple way of looking, this is the world of addiction, that that God has given you over to something as you exercised your will to go against his best for you, and then eventually God gives us over to that. Um, And the easiest example is alcohol, drugs, other substances, and too often those of us who aren't hooked on those things take that as an easy out and think that that's the only kind of addiction, and it's not even close. We've all got ours, It could be uh, shopping, sports, recreation, entertainment, being critical, being religious. There's all kinds of stuff that that these things drive our lives and determine who we are, and it becomes a substitute for God. It's idolatry, like Pastor Mike talked about last week. It could be relationships. It could be family, friends, romance. There's a million of them. The point is they're taking God's place as the one who determines our path and determines our future. And, And so you know what this is like. This, this whole process we just talked about, is that, that you are tempted by something and you know you don't want to do this, but you want to do it more than you don't want to do it, so you do it, and it's painful, and your conscience hurts, but you do it. And then, whether it's the next moment or the next week or the next year, you say, you know what, I feel that, that temptation again, and I feel the conscience kicking in again, but I give in again, and it wasn't quite as bad this time. It didn't hurt as much as it hurt before. And so we continue this cycle till it not only becomes something that it doesn't hurt because God has handed it over, but it becomes where we find our identity. It becomes comfortable. It becomes something we need. Then it becomes something we think we deserve. We've all done this. We all do this. See, but it's not just a matter of knowing what it is for us. One of the things that happens in this cycle of being in our sins is that it's not just about us, but it's about our, how we relate together. That it's not just about owning our own sins, but then we celebrate the sins of others. Verse 32, going to the end of it, says, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So we become a people who wink at sin, who think it's no big deal and actually think it's kind of fun and funny. And this is the world we live in. This is the world Paul lived in 2,000 years ago, whether it's something that is what is evidently gross sin from a biblical standard or whether it's just Pharisaic legalism. This is the way of the world. This is what we do. Because when we are insistent on going our own way, those terrifying words of verse 24 are true. It says, God gave them over. 
And what happens when he does is we begin to descend in this dark place and part of us, it it appeals to us. And so we begin to block the light out and we continue to stay in our sins. And this is a terrible place to be, but this is a natural consequence for our rebellion. But thankfully, because Jesus has risen, we don't have to stay there. Back in John's gospel, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his his, uh, death and departure and he promises to send a comforter when he's gone. So chapter 16, verse 7 of John, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So he promises to send this comforter. If you're going to send someone somewhere, like Jesus says he is going to do, it's just a given you need to be alive. That's just how it works. And this is one of the gifts of the resurrection is Jesus is alive and he has sent the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin. So if we're going to get out of this cycle of being in our sins, of thinking that I'm just fine, we're not drowning, we need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and help us to see that we're on a bad path. Even if we're enjoying it, I mean, we can really be having a great time, but be on a path that's leading us away from God. And so what happens is we need to turn around and, and trust Jesus for forgiveness and salvation. That's what we need. Thank you, Andy. You did that with conviction. I told him, say it like I'm really drowning. Yeah, he's not, he's not crazy. Um, so so I, sh- I should have told the security guys that, though. Like, I should have warned them. Sorry, Andy. Um, but but um, that's what we need. We need a clear voice. That's what it means to experience conviction. We get a clear voice from the Holy Spirit saying, you're drowning because you can look great. You can look like you have everything together and you can be drowning. People are doing it all the time. You could be at a terrible point and, and realize, like, and not know why. You could be in this cycle of misery and you're not sure what's going on, but then you hear that voice, you hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and like, that's what it is. I'm trapped in my sins. And sometimes this is incredibly painful. Sometimes we need to hit that low place before we're willing to listen to the Holy Spirit speak into our lives and show us the error of our ways. Other times, it's a very unwelcome voice because things are going so well, but we can't go anywhere until we understand. We can't experience forgiveness, what we're talking about today, until we understand that we're drowning, that spiritually we cannot help ourselves and we're stuck. And I may not like facing this fact because I love my sin, but when I do, God makes it clear that it's the Holy Spirit and he's, he's throwing me a life jacket in essence here. Before I would have thought, you know, and, and you've done this as you've shared with those in your family who don't know Jesus and they're just looking at you like you're crazy. And that's because they don't know they're drowning because it's like being in the desert and throwing someone a life jacket. That's, that doesn't make any sense. And that's, unless we have that, that conviction of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of our sin, it's just not going to make sense. And so that's something we need to pray that God does in our own lives, first and foremost, and then in the lives of those we love, that they would understand what God's calling them to. So first thing we need to do, if we want to experience God's forgiveness, number one is we need to experience conviction. We, we need to know what we need, and, and now that we know what we need, the next thing we need to do is trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. Today could be considered at this point a thumbnail sketch of Romans. Um, We're going to jump ahead a couple chapters here, and we're going to get a picture of our rebellious spiritual state. And I found a great picture of my rebellious spiritual state at the rummage sale. Um, This thing right here. This will be 
Um, this thing is uh, giving love a bad name. This is this is going way back. Um, so, but this is this is representative. I'm, I'm wearing my sin right now, but at least it's been pointed out. Hey, you, you're 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 wearing this sin. That is sin, and I'm sure we can all agree, um, or most of us. Um, I was offered five hundred dollars for this before it started, just to not wear it was what the offer was. So. Um, but, but So we may be doing our own thing, going our own way, but um, in reality, we're, we're dead men and women walking. Oh, lost my earpiece there. Um, so, and that's how Paul describes our spiritual state in Romans chapter 3. You can turn there if you like. Um, if not, I'll read it here. There is no one righteous, starting in verse 10. Not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And so you catch that last part, that I'm stuck in this jean vest here, um, and the situation is such that I can't get myself out of this. That there's nothing, there's no amount of law that I can, that I can, fulfill. There's not amount of, no amount of good stuff I can do. It's not up to me. And so we can tend to think, yes, I want those people who are doing bad stuff to hear this passage in Romans, but it's not just about the stuff you do, because we can do lots of good stuff. And he says, hey, doing the good stuff, doing the law is not going to get you out of this either. We're in big trouble here. We have this conviction that's been spoken into our life saying, you're on the wrong path. What do we do? And Paul says, we're dead. But then, verses 21 to 26, some people have called it the most important paragraph ever written in human history. If you get verses 21 to 26, you've got this. Um, and I'm just going to hit a couple highlights because it's, it's incredibly thick. But verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all entrapped by our sin. Whether it's our sin of piety and religiosity and Phariseeism, or whether it's the worst sin, what we usually connotate with sin. There are no exceptions. But then verse 24, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That we're made right before God. Our redemption is paid for by Jesus's grace. It's not because we're good. It's not because, of the, because we perform well. It's an act of God's grace in Jesus. And then the first part of verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. That Jesus paid the rebel's punishment for our rebellion against God in our place. That he took the death that we deserved and he gave us life in him. That means the only way to receive the benefit of this this. Jesus' payment is that we trust him with our lives. We say, okay, I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says I'm drowning. I feel all right, but I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to trust him more than I trust myself. And so Jesus, I need you to save me because he is, it is evident from here I can't do it on my own. That's what it means to trust Jesus. And so everything going forward in the rest of this morning is based upon making this decision. 
It's based upon crying out to God and saying, I can't, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. I need you to save me. And it's crying out to God for that salvation. God has made a gift of eternal life in him available to you through Jesus. He will take care of your sin. But you've got to open the gift. So the question is, have you? If not, will you? If you're not sure, get sure. So here's what happens when we do that. And this is, this is a powerful image for where we are going forward. See, Tab's going to be my Jesus. Now, Tab, don't get any wrong ideas here. It's, it's, it's mom's day today, all right? So, um, but I've got my sin. Tab's Jesus. Why don't you stand up, Tab? Um, and, and what happens when we trust Jesus is that I give Jesus my sin. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. So Jesus wears my sin. That is where he bore God's wrath on the cross. And then what he does in return is he gives me his righteousness. So I'm drowning, so our image today is he's going to give me a life vest. Jesus takes my sin. He gives me life. That's the exchange. That's what happens. So thank you, Tab, for that. Um, that that's the image. And if you don't believe me, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The idea is he became sin for us. So all of that sin, all that junk that we're trapped in was on Jesus's shoulder. God judged that on Jesus in our place and we receive his righteousness. This thing would have fit a lot better before Lent or during Lent. Um, but so th- that's what happened at the cross. And then what happens as a result of that is that we are a new creation. Just a few verses before that, 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You're different. It may not show up in the external actions right away, but your heart has been changed. You not, are not who you were before. And so it's gonna take some time to reshape that, but it's the truth. That exchange happened at the cross. God sees Christ's righteousness in us there because of that. So we're saved, right? We're rescued. We have life even when we were drowning. But it's kind of hard to live out sometimes. Most of us here are believers and we're still struggling with stuff. We're still struggling with some of the addictions we have. What I want to look at today is struggling with maybe some of the guilt that we bear. And so our next point, our last point of the morning is live in freedom. How do we experience God's forgiveness? We experience conviction, we trust Jesus, and then we live in freedom. And and I won't ask you to do it for reasons I'll explain in a minute, but we can probably all go back and think about something that we would love to redo in our lives. That if, ah, if if I hadn't have done that, you know... I would just, I would, I would love to go back in time and fix that more than anything in the world. And it's because maybe some guilt is still weighing on us from that. Our conscience is still bearing witness that that, that was a bad thing. And conscience can be heavy on us. Look at um, Romans chapter 2, verse 15, gives us a, a little glimpse of that. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their conscience is also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. The idea there is that God gave us a conscience, and it can weigh on us, and we feel that guilt. And guilt is considered a waste and unnecessary in our world today, and I want to say I think that's largely wrong. Not totally wrong, but largely wrong. If you're guilty, I want you to feel guilty. 
Can we be honest? I mean, you know, you may not want that, but there's people in your life like they should feel guilty for that. That's what we're talking about here. Because guilt is our internal GPS to say something was not right. And so how do I seek relief for that? How do I make it right? And so it's something that can guide us to change. So it's not all bad. False guilt is bad. But if we've earned it, it's a gift that pushes us to seek relief. I've been talking with some people lately, uh, several people who are just feeling the burdens of their past sins. And they've reali- tried to handle it on their own and they just stuck. And they've realized that they need Jesus and they can try to repair it and that can help on a certain level, but it doesn't take it away. It's still heavy on them. Only God can take it away. When we trust Jesus, we are justified before God. Justification is a fancy, long theological word. It means we're declared righteous. We are declared just um, before God, that he's cleared our debt, that he sees a guy in a life jacket, not a guy in a jean vest. Why'd you take it off, Tab? It's a, it's a good birthday, birthday outfit. Um, put your best on. Um, so, so when we think of justification, if, you, if you've been around and you've thought of this stuff before, you think of what Jesus did at the cross, and that's important, um, absolutely. But Paul makes it clear that, that justification is also tied to his resurrection. Um, let me show you. If you turn over a page to Romans chapter 4, verse 25, It says, he was delivered over to death for our sins. So we get this, we've been through this. We're guilty of sin. It results in Jesus' death. It is this tragically beautiful moment where the most innocent person who has ever lived suffers in our place. That's the tragic part, but it's beautiful because it's through that that God gives us life. Okay, we recognize that. Um, But then the second part of it says, and was raised to life for our justification. Now, for those of us who like this stuff, that's a little bit confusing, and I spent a lot of time wrestling with that this week because I always put that at the cross, but there's a couple things to look at here. First, don't worry about thin slicing it too much. When, when death and resurrection, they all, it's kind of a package deal. It all goes together. You're not keeping God down, so that's part of it. But if we are going to thin slice it, then it's, it's likely serving as evidence that, that Jesus' resurrection that is evidence that his justification was complete, that because he has risen, we can understand. It's like the exclamation point on what God had done through dying on the cross. It was, it was vindicating to him. It was a guarantee. And so Jesus has declared you justified. He has made you righteous. And even if you doubt it, it is as sure as he is alive. So follow me for a moment here. Um, and I'm keeping this thing on for a reason in case you're wondering. Um, most of us here are Jesus followers. And yet, I would say most of us here are burdened by guilt in some way, shape, or form still. You wish you would have done things differently as a spouse or a parent or, or a worker, just a human being in general. And, and I remember this encounter clearly several years ago. I've shared this story before with her permission. But uh, this woman came to my office and she was physically shaken and shaking by something that she wanted to confess to me about her past. And the weight on her was tremendous. And through her tears, she was just fearing rejection from God. She was fearing, fearing re- rejection from me. Um, and so she told me about her sinful choices in the past. And I knew she had a relationship with Jesus and that she had trusted him to forgive her sins. And so I asked her, okay, are you still practicing this? And she's like, no, I, I haven't done this for years. And so I said, okay, well then don't take this wrong, but I don't care. And more importantly, Jesus doesn't care because he's dealt with that. 
That is ancient history. That does not matter anymore. The only thing that those sins of the past that you have dealt with before God, all that they matter is they are a testament of God's amazing grace and goodness. He doesn't hold those against you anymore, and so you have no fear of rejection because he knew that about you, and he's dealt with it. What she was doing and, and what many of us do is, it's, it's like me worrying about drowning right now. Like some flash flood from anywhere making me drown. I'm, in, I'm the guy in the life vest. I'm the safest guy in the room right now. Um, but we're all pretty safe. But there's still a better chance of me dying right now by drowning than there is of Jesus bringing up your past. Because he says it's paid for. It's done and there's a better chance of something wiping me out and me drowning right now. As ridiculous as that sounds, it's more ridiculous to think Jesus is holding your past against you. He's not. He's dealt with it at the cross, and it's done. Uh, Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. East and west are a ways apart, I hear. See, you know Jesus has forgiven you, um, yet we keep coming back to that sin. It's like we like to wallow in that guilt. And, and I want to say this sensitively as possible, and, and I, I guess I'm saying it to myself too, but just stop it. Stop going back there. Jesus is not back there. He has moved forward. I mean, if you need to go back there for healing, that's a whole different thing. But don't keep condemning yourself. Don't keep blaming yourself. Rest. You've got the jacket. Just let it do the work. Jesus has given you life. Rest in him. First um, John 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He's forgiven us. It's, it's done with. He doesn't keep bringing it up. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. That, that we have been reconciled to God. We have peace with him. Jesus isn't dwelling on it. He isn't holding it against you, so why are you? If there's a voice that's constantly condemning you about your past, assuming that you've sought forgiveness and you've worked this out with God, assuming you've done that work, I promise you it's not Jesus's voice. It may be yours, it may be the enemy's, but it's not Jesus, so stop listening to it. And it isn't just the guilt in the past that weighs us down. We can also um, be, be, our guilt can make us fear the future as well. Last week, um, last week's passage was clear. It says God's, God will come to judge sin. Colossians chapter three. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. So it's clear that the flood, so to speak, will come. God will judge the earth, and so sometimes we are, let our guilt define us, and we fear that judgment, but because Jesus's righteousness that's been given to us, that life that we have, and because he's risen, we don't have to fear God's judgment. First Thessalonians 1, 9, and 10. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is God's truth. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Live in freedom because you are no longer under condemnation if you've sought refuge in Jesus. You've been set free in the present from the past for a future. So live in it. I could do a bunch more talking on this, but I don't think that's going to do any good because this is something that if this hits where you are, that you need to grapple with, that you need to wrestle with it on your own or you need someone to stand in prayer with you. And so um, for some of you, this is too good to believe, but it's God's truth. And so maybe you're saying, I've never actually experienced that conviction of my sin and I need to deal with that today. And so we're going to have some, some prayer team elders prayer team staff will be up here along the front and along the sides and we want to pray with you don't let this opportunity to come to a relationship with christ pass you by respond to that today there's others who you've been a believer forever it's not it's not experiencing that conviction you just need to understand hey i need to learn how to live in that freedom and if being with someone to stand with you and to pray with you and say this is god's truth you are free from that that can be incredibly liberating. So again, take advantage of one of us who will be up here to pray with you in that regard. Um, You've been set free. And if we choose to stay in that guilt, if we choose to stay in that shame, we are in a self-imposed prison. So come pray with us during our ministry time. Pray with each other um, or spend some time with the Lord as the the music plays. So go ahead and stand up as we prepare to uh, to close with a song of worship. But if we dare to look, the fact of the matter is, is we're sinking fast. But God's held out his hand through the person of the crucified and risen Jesus. We've been set free from this drowning, that he has taken that death and he has given us life to live a new kind of life in Jesus's resurrection power. And the Bible's clear, all have sinned. No one's immune to it. And it's done a number on every aspect of our life. See, but God's grace is more powerful than any of the mess we can make. His goodness is far greater than our badness. And so he wants to give us new life. He wants to restore and revive us by his resurrected son. So I encourage you, respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit this morning. Trust the son and live in freedom. I want to close with one more powerful scripture just to help you soar in the freedom that God's given you. And then come up and pray as we worship together. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's worship.